0: Thank you so much, guys. We are in the second week of a series uh, on parenting. It's kind of a different thing, but we felt like a, just a real practical kind of a need uh, in our fellowship and really in our community to do that. Uh, I want to show you something. This is um, a few years ago. You can't see this really good, but the devastatingly handsome young man all the way, I guess, to my left, on that's, that's me, and that's my little brother that I have my arm around. And those are my cousins and my sister right there. And that is the uh, picture uh, from the Mid-South Fair. Every year, it was a big deal. Uh, We would go to the Mid-South Fair and then to the rodeo, and it was kind of a big thing. I was raised in a very family-friendly environment of North Memphis. And um, this just sort of played right into my whole river rat, redneck um, growth period there. Uh, But that's kind of a funny thing because I thought I never would have guessed when I was 10 years old that I would have children one day. You know, that's just like not even in your heads. And I know that some of you guys sitting here, maybe even some of you over here, you're probably starting to lean into it a little bit. But you're thinking, I don't know if I'm going to be ready for that. Uh, I never would have thought at that that point. Do you remember the scene from Hook where he says, Peter Pan's got kids? You know, that's kind of the way I felt when I got to be an adult. And we began to have a family and to have children. The other thing I thought about when I, saw, when I found this photo just recently is um, the fact that we would go, we'd do a lot of things. We'd go to the lake and events like this and to the circus with my uncle and his family. And so those are my cousins. And there we are all lined up at different ages. And, you know, every one of us was so unique and we've all gone in completely different directions in our lives. We Each one have uh, uh, just totally different stories. Even though I have a lot of pictures where we're together and raised in a very similar uh, environment. And, and, you know, families had the uh, you know, values were very much alike. Uh, but we've all... And I'm just, I'm not even going to talk about that, but we're all very, very, very different. You know, and so I want to talk about that a little bit today because it's, it's tough being a parent. It's just the hardest thing. It's just the hardest thing I've ever done. And I think it's the hardest thing I've made it to be because... There's this, this th- thing in me, and maybe this, this thing in you, and some of you guys. I'm talking a lot to, to you dads and potential dads today. You know, Where I just wanted to be a good husband. I want to be a good pastor, and I want to be a good father. And I thought, if I can do these things, I just want to be a good person. I want to be a good Christian. you know. And we're just trying, and we're trying, and we, and we tend to come up short. And the enemy constantly reminds us. Right, And there's just always this, you know, this, this thing of condemnation that comes in and says, hey, you're just not getting it right. And I, don't, I really, really don't want to come across like that today. Uh, so even though I'm going to say some you know, pretty direct things like I did last week, I don't want you to give the enemy a place because there's a solution. You don't have to try to be all those things. And you don't have to work at it so hard. That's just our flesh's response to this holy calling. And so we rise up and think, I can do this. And I think most guys and probably most women have that built in too. So um, it's just this, the crazy part about parenting is about the time you get it figured out, right? You think, I think I, I think I know what to do next. They're grown. They leave. They move off. And you think, no, wait, wait, I, I, I've got this. I've got, I, I can do this now. Uh, and there's so much confusion today. I hear a lot of voices. You read so many different perspectives on this, and then you see these little wars, you know, crop up on Facebook or other social medias, or just, you know, uh, with you know the philosophy of the day and the moment, and this is how you do it. No, that's really wrong, and this is how you do it. And I know, as a parent, you you just have to stop and think. I, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. I could be messing up my kid. And not even know. And trying to be aware of that. So some of it's good. Some of it's junk. Uh, here's, here's the thing. God is a model parent. He is the best dad. And I think we confuse this and we complicate it way, way too much. I, I just don't think parenting was ever designed or supposed to be that difficult. You can be a great parent. You. You can be a Some of you guys are going to be great parents. Some of you are going to be awesome parents. And I'm going to just bring it down to this one simple secret, okay? Treat your kids the way God treats you. Treat your kids the way God treats you. Da Vinci said simplicity simplicity is the ultimate sophistication. And I embrace that. I've always had so many rules and guides and all these lists and things in my life. And and God is teaching me, especially in the last several years. Hey, Dan, that's way too complicated. Simplify. Simplify. So here's the idea. Treat your kids the way God treats you. Psalm 103, verse 13 and 14 say, say this. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we're formed. He knows. He gets you. He knows how we're formed. God understands what makes you tick. He understands us. He's aware of our nature. He, he's the only one who really gets your personality and all your quirks and, you know, all those kind of goofy things. He knows what we're made of. And because he understands, he can parent us in just the right way. So that, you know, if I think, okay, if my basic premise is treat your kids the way God treats you, then the first thing I've got to do is this. Understand your children. Learn to understand uh, your children. There was an amazing youth pastor here in the Knoxville area several years ago, Uh, a guy was phenomenal, um, who did a survey among parents, and he surveyed 400 parents and 250 high school students. And he asked several questions, but one of the questions uh, was this. Ask parents, do you understand your children? Then he asked the students on, on their part of this, do you think your parents understand you? And here's the funny thing about that. Eighty-five percent of the parents said, yes, I understand my children. Fifteen percent of the students said, I think my parent understands me. Isn't that weird? It just flipped. Eighty-five percent of the, the, the students said, my parents really don't understand me. They may think they do, but they don't. That's kind of a wake-up call, I think, for us to fill in that gap. There is a gap between, you know, this perception of do you, do you really get me or not? And probably the same thing is true with husbands and wives. Um, so we need to study our kids. I mean, you know, in that photo I showed you a moment ago, from that time until now, I've maybe had one or two courses in child and family parenting and that kind of thing. I've had lots of theology. I've had lots of pastoral training. I've had a lot of classes and so many other things. But this thing that I say, okay, out of everything else, I told you last week, this is the thing I want to get right. Out of everything I do, this is the thing I don't want to mess up is my kids. And isn't it funny? I've spent hours and hours and hours. I've taken tests and written papers about so many other things. But I don't study my kids. See if you, if you, you know, what you've applied to all these other areas of your life, you need to apply uh, to, to being a good parent. So let's just study them. We need to know what makes them the way they are. You know, every child has a unique bent, a special personality, and and a temperament. Those of your parents, you've already figured that out. If you've got more than one child, uh, isn't that amazing? How we can all, we could grow up in the same home and each one be so different from the other. Uh, I find that's true. They don't all have the same strengths or weaknesses or talents or interests or abilities. So we make a mistake when we try to fit them all into the same mold. And I just want you to be be like your brother, be like me, be like your mom, and, and it just causes a lot of frustration because everybody's so different. You need to understand that. You need to understand that. And not just look at your kids, but each child as an individual. Proverbs 22.6, I think it and uh, Jeremiah 29.11 are probably two of the most quoted scriptures in the entire Bible. I really do. This section says this. It's very familiar because all of us as parents, at one time or another, we've, we've hung on to this for dear life. Train up a child in the way that he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from that. And somehow we got it into our minds um, that if we just, you know, bring them to church, uh, bring them to all the special events, and then get them in the youth group and uh, pray over our meals at home, maybe read scripture and have Bible books around, and, you know, at at the right time, make sure they come to know the Lord and they're baptized, and maybe even send them to a Christian school. um, And you put all this into them, and then oftentimes what happens, what, and what I've seen happen, is these, these children grow up, and they begin to rebel during their, their teenage years. You rebels, rebels. And they, um, they're just looking at me right, and you can't see their faces. They're just looking at me like, yeah, what about it, Pastor? I mean, they're just so rebellious. And and they just, and they, they, they have that, you know, and then they continue to veer off, and they get into young adulthood, and in college, and and, and the And the groan and and I can't tell you how many parents who are friends of mine going we don't we don't know we did we we brought them to church and we did these things, and that verse says, and so we try to maybe get a little something from the fact that maybe at some point we know they're they're gonna they're going to come back to the Lord because we did that they're going to come back to the Lord, maybe on their deathbed, you know they're like a hundred years old and, and they're and they're and they're gasping their last breath and they go, Jesus, I come back. Boom. I knew they'd do it. That verse said that. You know, well, that's not a lot of comfort to parents, right? You don't want a child to live like a whole wasted life and and you know it, it we think, well, I don't know if that's the way I really want my child to on his deathbed to come come back to Christ. It's just not a lot of comfort. And the other thing is. It's just not true. Lots of people grew up in Christian homes who are nowhere near the Lord today. So what does that verse mean? If we're just going to you know, blow that away. Okay, here's: it's not a promise. It's a proverb. It's not a promise. It's a proverb. The key to understanding what that, this verse is really all about is, is the key word, way. The word way means style or temperament or personality. See What he's trying to, to teach us is that each child is uniquely wired to go into a certain direction. In fact, the Amplified translation says, train a child in keeping with his individual gifts or bents. That's probably a lot more accurate as far as what the meaning is. I have to recognize and encourage my children in the direction that they're naturally inclined to go with their talent, their personality, their abilities, and all that. That's what this verse is really about. And I don't know if that makes you happy or sad, if that just relieves this wondering about, wow, if that verse is true, how come my child doesn't seem to be working, and maybe I'm going to have to doubt the validity of Scripture, or maybe it means something else. Maybe it makes you sad because you were just counting on that. Counting, if I check the boxes, all the religious boxes, then my child's going to be okay and I don't have to worry about it. It's, it's a little deeper. It's a little deeper than that. We need to understand our children, and we need to understand our children's natural temperament. That's what, that, that's, what that's talking about. Now, we need to understand them, and then we need to accept them. Now, this is, this is me when I was about four years old, um, I'll show you this, this, this photo of me with my, with my parents. I'm gonna, I promise I'm going to show it to you. I'm going to show it to you right now. I'm going to show it to you in just a minute. Um, okay, here I am. Okay. No, that's not me. No, that's not me. No, that's not me. <laughs> no, that's not me. You see, that's me. See, I just never felt accepted by my parents. you got to really, really accept them, okay? Are you perfect? And you'd say, well, of course not. I'm not perfect, but I'm, you know, but God accepts you. That's this incredible thing about him. He accepts you just the way you are, and we call that grace. That's grace. God wants you to accept your children just the way that they are, and that's called grace we have a tendency to reject our children, especially when they mess up or when they're not like us or when they don't look like we want it or act like or all these things. And, and guys, we sense that. And I don't think, and I'm not going to say this like preacher talk, uh, there's no hint of exaggeration. Uh, I don't think there's a stronger emotion that's done more damage in human personality than that of rejection. It's something we've all struggled with, and it's damaged our self-esteem, and it's really crippled us in being able to see our identity in Christ. So we're going to spend the entire month of September talking about just that one thing. Because I, I believe you're going to be set free. As a dad, as a mom, as a student, as, as a single adult, um, there's something there about this place where we, we struggle with feeling accepted. You know, you walk into a room, and I've been told that every man walks into a room with other men, and he looks around and he wonders, can I take him? Can I take that guy? You know, we immediately make it competitive. Women walk into a room going, is she prettier than me? I'm prettier than her. You see, why do we do that? Why do we even go there and feel those kind of things? Because of that sense of rejection. We have a tendency, oftentimes without even being aware, that we're doing it. It can be done you know, uh, overtly and you know, just obvious. I re, I reject you. I I never wanted you, and statements like that. And some of you've heard you, some of you've heard those things, and it's hurt you deeply. But some of it can be covert rejection, where it's just kind of woven into the daily fabric of your life, and you start picking up on that. That mom and dad maybe they don't love you as much as you wish they would, or you don't feel comfortable unless you do certain things to kind of win that. Uh, and, and we need to affirm each one of our children's uniqueness. We tend to send out signals as parents saying, you need to be interested in the same things I'm interested in. You need to do as good in school as I did in school. You need to do the same sports that I did and the athletic pursuits that I pursued. Uh, you, you need to embrace those things. And when they don't, uh, you know, we kind of feel a little let down. And I don't know, I will say dads are maybe more adamant about that without even knowing to. But if we're not careful, we will try to live our lives. And we want them to actually be a better golfer, a better football player, a better student, you know, than we were. A better piano player, whatever it is. And we just kind of quietly do that. And kids learn real early, I need to perform to be accepted in my home. It's a lack of recognition and appreciation for the way God made a child. It could be very subtle, uh, but but uh, you just kind of get to this place where either consciously or unconsciously you know if I'm going to be accepted by my dad, I need to act this way. I need to be like that. I just can't be myself around mommy because um, this is what's expected of me. And the only way to get accepted in this home is to is to perform and to do it in a certain way. And I've got to be like my parents. That's just devastating. It's just devastating. Now, the third thing, uh, and I talked about this last week, but I'm going to touch on it again today because I think it's probably one of the key ingredients in parenting that's missing. And I say this gently, but I'm going to say in this generation. Okay? The other things, the other two things... Uh, I'll be honest, and I, I'm not going to talk badly about my parents. They're, they're not here. They're passed away. But I can say, I don't think they got those first two things right. <laughs> I, don't, I think they, yeah, they, didn't, they didn't get that. This third one, oh, my goodness, they got this one. My dad, if, you'd, you, know, if, you'd, if you mentioned this, you know, he said, oh, yeah, that's the one I'm good at, and it's discipline. Discipline your children. Hebrews twelve six says, The Lord disciplines those whom he loves. It's a sign of God's love when you're disciplined. Scripture says, if I don't discipline my children, two things are true. No matter what I say, this is what's true. One, it proves I don't really love my kids. I said this last week. I'm going to say it again because I just, and it's a hard thing. Is that some of you love yourself more than you love your kids. And it's more important that your children grow up liking you and being your friend. Listen, they've got friends. God gave them lots of friends. He only gave them one dad one mom. And that's you. (laughs) So that's the role that you play into their lives. And uh, and one day they'll love you, and one day uh, they'll be your friend. They'll be your friend. But, you know, if if I just am trying to work on that and, and be popular with my kids instead of discipline, it proves I really don't love them. All my insecurities are too much in the way. Proverbs 13, 24 says, If you re- refuse to discipline your son, it proves that you don't love him. Wow, that's strong. And if I let him get away with anything, it shows I just don't care enough about him to confront him. The second thing is it shows that I'm participating. Are you ready for this? I'm participating in their destruction. Proverbs 19, 18 says, It says, discipline your children while they're young enough to learn. If you don't, you're helping them to destroy themselves. And I have seen parents enable their children to continue in certain behaviors that ended up causing destruction, literally. And that's a very personal thing with me. Now, it's important that you understand the difference between what is discipline and what is punishment. God never punishes his children. He disciplines them. All the punishment for your sin was taken by one person, Jesus Christ, on the cross. So why would God punish Jesus to the extent of sending his own son to the cross and then come back to you and say, yeah, no, you know what? I've already punished Jesus for this, but now you're going to get yours. Now I'm going to punish you too. No, that's not the way it works. The punishment has already been dealt with. Uh, that, that's already happened. Uh, your, your kids will never have to, should never have to be punished for what was already taken by Jesus on the cross. That's why Romans 8.1 says this, There is now no condemnation, and that means punishment. There's no punishment anymore for those who are in Christ, in Christ. So, obvious question arises, so what's the difference between discipline and punishment then? Well, the purpose of punishment is to impose a penalty. It's punitive. I want to penalize you for what you've done wrong. The purpose of discipline is to promote growth and health. I want to correct you. I want to train you. I want you to to become who you really are. I, I want to help you to achieve that. The focus of punishment is always in the past. The focus of discipline is on the future. You did wrong in the past, so you're going to be punished for it. And I want you to do the right thing in the future, so you're going to be disciplined for it. Do you see the difference? I know it feels kind of, you know, but the attitude of the parent in punishment is typically anger. We punish out of anger. And the motivation behind discipline is love. I want you to succeed. I want you to make it in this world. So what's the result? The result of punishment is always fear, guilt, shame, and more anger. That's why some of you are 30, 40, 50, 60 years old, and you still have a hard time relating to your parents. And you may think, why is that? I love them. They provided for me. Maybe they even sent you to school, and they've done all these things. And, and you love them, and they love you. But there's just some tension, and there's something uncomfortable. Because they probably, at some point, produce in you those emotions of, of guilt and shame uh, and maybe fear and anger. And that's kind of under. And we'll talk toward the end about what do we do with those emotions. Uh, so that 's the difference between those and the result of, of those. The result of discipline is always understanding and security uh, the The motivation is is love behind that so i act, I feel more secure when i 'm disciplined. Your children will actually love you more and have better esteem and a better worldview when they 're disciplined because we figure out. Oh, there are boundaries in my life. I have bound. There there's, there's places, and, and that, makes, that, that creates an atmosphere of safety. I'm convinced that this is one of the reasons why Christian kids who grow up in Christian homes, and they're doing it like never before in the history, uh, really, of, of our country, but I think of the world, where they're, they're stepping away, stepping away from their faith, uh, particularly in their late teens and early 20s, it's because they were not... This isn't the reason, but it's one of the reasons. I think they were punished in anger and in and, and kind of a false sense of righteousness. As a result, that they were outwardly learning to conform and to be obedient, but inwardly building up feelings of resentment and anger and bitterness and fear and guilt. We discipline our children the way that God disciplines us. God is gracious when he disciplines us. He's so gentle with us, but he does it consistently. So how do we discipline? How do you discipline? Three words that describe discipline in the Bible. These are three characteristics, okay? And uh, this isn't all there is to say about it. I said a lot last week. You can go back and listen to that. But if you're going to discipline your kids, here's just three suggestions, three ideas. One is do it calmly. You know, and I say this, and obviously some of my background filters into that because my dad was, he was just angry guy. He was a Korean War vet, and he just grew up tough, and he just, oh my goodness, and he would get so mad, you know. And I, just, and, and I would say a lot of the discipline that I received was, was because he just reached the end of his rope because I was doing something goofy or whatever. And he just, you know, and so we, we do that, and there, it wasn't very calm uh, in our home. So this discipline is not an opportunity for you to relieve your own personal frustration. That's not the goal. God says don't do that. Don't discipline in anger. Proverbs twenty nine eleven says a fool gives full vent to his wrath. Uh, it's foolish to discipline your kids in anger. Ephesians six four says, Don't keep scolding and nagging your children, making them angry and resentful. Use loving discipline use loving discipline. Uh, do you like to be nagged? No, nobody likes that, whether it's in the workplace or the home. or nobody. And your kids don't like it either, and they probably will figure out at what point within that nagging they have to, kind of like the counting thing I talked about last week. I don't know who came up with that. Uh, you know, but we, we just, after a while, we learn. okay, now's when I really have to obey. It just, it just doesn't work. So don't confuse training with nagging. Now, the second thing is do it quickly. Don't put it off. Don't delay. And don't do that thing of, when your father gets home, I'm te- when your dad gets home, you're going to be, and so, and so dad comes in, he's the bad guy all the time. You know, and it could be turned around the other way. When your mama gets home, because she's the tougher one or something, I don't know. Uh, But, you know, however your home's constructed. But it's like, when they get home, you're going to get it. One person shouldn't be the heavy all the time. It should be balanced. Parents, you spread this out so that your children begin to see, oh, it's not that dad's the, you know, good cop, bad cop, like that. No, it's like, this is the principle, and this is the expected place you know for me to, this is my behavior or this is what acceptable or not what's not acceptable and it's not about them and about personalities but you do it do it as do it as quickly as you can um you know after that the action takes place and then the third thing is do it sparingly um and i know this sounds counterintuitive but you're going to get a lot more effect out of your discipline if you're not disciplining 24/7 from the time they get up in the morning to the time they go to bed, it's like, oh, here they come, here they come. I know I'm doing something wrong. I know I'm going to get busted the minute they will. Don't Don't do that. Colossians 3.21, it's an awesome verse. It says this, Fathers, don't scold your children so much that they become discouraged and just stop trying. They just quit trying. Ladies, if you've got toddlers in your house, instead of having this perfect home like, you know, in Southern Living magazine, and they're constantly pulling things off the shelves and things. Look, just get rid of all that for the next couple of years. Okay? We've got lots of new babies in our church, and that's going to be frustrating. You know, and you go, oh, no, they broke this, and Aunt Lulu gave us that, and it's been in my family for so long. And then now you're, you know, and they're looking at you like, what? I don't know. I'm a kid. What do you think I was going to do? You know, just go ahead and childproof your home for a little while, and, and, and that's, that's going to be okay. And then they're not going to get in trouble. See, you're helping them. You're helping them out. And I know you can't—I'm not saying you should manipulate all the environment so they just breeze right through. But I am saying, uh, if you go on a car trip and you don't bring anything, you don't have any games or video or something, I can tell you in my house, because this um, was—our children were four years apart, and Aaron was just the busiest little guy that you've ever... I mean, there are times we pepper sprayed him. No, we didn't really. <laughs> we didn't really do that. But we, uh, road trips, he could ride for about 30 minutes, and then, you know, he's bored, so he looks over at his sister. Oh, source of entertainment. I remember driving to Florida one time, and he has got his hand, because I've said, don't touch your sister. Do not touch her. Do not phys- you cannot physically... So he's back there. He has his hands like this in front of her, and he's saying, I'm not touching you, I'm not touching you. What's he doing? He's just entertaining. <laughs> he's just got to have something to do. Well, there's something to do, you know. I mean, okay, give them some toys. Give them something to do, and you're going to help. Which you're not disciplining all the time. You're kind of, you know, getting ahead of that a little bit, um, because what you don't want to get into is just disciplining your kids for being kids instead of disciplining them for rebellion. It's a big difference. There's a big difference. Okay, back to the uh, kind of last thing I want to talk to you about, is is learning to demonstrate love to your children. The Bible is so full of examples. My life is so full of examples of how God's loved us and how he does that, and the Father's love is just so consistent and just such a powerful thing. That he has for his children. How great is the love that the Father has bestowed upon us. Um, and, and there are some specific ways you need to express love to be a great parent. Because you see, there's things... You remember that old joke about the, the, guy, the wife who was wondering, you know, if her husband still loved her. And he said, I told you I loved you on our wedding day 40 years ago. If I change my mind, I'll let you know. <laughs> and she's like, well, that's not enough. It's not enough. Not enough just for maybe every now and then or on special occasion or when they're hurt or for you to to pipe up and to say, oh, well, you know, know, I, I love you. I know, I love you. My dad had a terrifically difficult time in saying the words. He could not say. I heard him say, I love you twice in my life. And I was an adult both times. And one time I pretended not to hear him so that he would say it again. I mean, that's, and I'm I'm a grown, by that time, I'm what, like 40, you know, years old? So, you know, that's built in, that need, and you are the primary source for your child to receive that. So we've got to demonstrate it. You've got to be purposeful. Guys, if you're just really insensitive, and I know a lot of guys are, and I don't want to hurt your feelings, but come on, uh, put it on your to-do list. Tell Siri to remind you, you know, to, I mean, whatever you got to do to make this work until it becomes a part of your lifestyle, um, do this, because here's how kids are going to understand that you love them. And you may be startled one day when they go, well, you never really loved me. What? Of course I loved you. How could you even say that? I, I, I loved you. Your mother and I both love you. I don't feel that. How could you not feel that? I mean, you know, and, and you maybe have had that conversation, well, here's some ways that they, is how they understand it. Okay, the first thing is through affection, touching, hugging, physical contact, kisses, pats on the back, rubbing their shoulders. I mean, you know, I, I didn't grow up in that kind of environment, but when I married into a family that did, and the first time I met Kathy's parents, they hugged me. And I'm like, oh, knock it off, knock it off. What are you doing? What are you doing? Why are you doing that? And her dad, we would sit next to each other on the couch. Her father would put his hand over on the couch, like on my shoulder, and just pat my shoulder and rub it. And I would sit there like a cat I'm on amphetamines. I'm just like, why are you doing that? Why do you touch me, you know? So there's a part of me that just wasn't used to that. But something began to happen. As I kept making those trips to Coldwater, Mississippi, and kept being around their parents, I started liking it. And I realized there was something in my heart that was bent toward that. So then I get out of the car going, hey, I'm here, you know, and I want my hugs. And they do it. I mean, if you say, I'm going to go, oh, the mailman just ran. I'm going to go out and get the mail. Oh, come here. Let me hear you. Oh, okay. You'll be right back. I love you. I love you too. And I thought, oh, please, you know. But we began to, so now, and you know what? And my kids, they're, they're all grown, I hug and kiss on them all the time, even as adults. And we'll do it in public. I'll do it right now. Stephen? No. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) That's the way they get it. Psalm 145 says, The Lord has compassion on all his children. He is so affectionate with me. He's so affectionate. And studies shown that fathers show affection, physical affection, one-sixth the amount that the mother does. So do you wonder why when men are on the battlefield and they're dying, they're calling out for their mothers? Because a bond is created through that. A normal human being needs ten touches today to feel emotionally healthy. Some of you aren't getting one. Or two, And I can tell because you're a little cranky. <laughs> but we do that. And there's certain people, you just, we should, now we shouldn't be a weird, inappropriate church. You know? I'm not going to that church again. Woo! I'm not even going to say that now because it does feel creepy to say, we should just be touching. <laughs> That's a, if you're a guest, you know, you're thinking, come on, Margaret. Those <laughs> we're going to the Methodist church. They don't touch. We're, you know, we're. Okay, you know, I'm just going to leave that one. This is not going well. Let's talk about something else. Okay, through affection, you get it. Start touching your kids. Um, Secondly, through affirmation, it's the way that we talk. Words are like, oh, they're just so powerful for positive or negative. Psalm 145, 14 says this, The Lord upholds and uplifts those who are down. How many times have you gone to Scripture when you're hurt or scared or tired or just bewildered and you just find these Scriptures and they just jump off the page into your heart? Oh, Lord, thank you. And you just memorize that and you just read it. I did that this week. I just read some Scripture and it's just like the Lord saying, hey, I love you and I got this I wrote for you. We do that to our children. We shape our kids by the way that we talk to them. We build the kind of children they're going to become. So don't tear them down. Build them up. I'm I'm not sure how to do this. and I think I get it wrong as much as I get it right. But I I realize that whatever we say here, they're going to become. They'll become what you say. So last night, we were, we were babysitting our grandson, Riley, and, and he woke up from his nap, and Kathy picked him up, and she goes, oh, you're so sweet, and you're so cute, and you're the best little baby in the world. So I went over to him, and I said, Riley, you are a dangerous baby. You're a warrior baby, and you're going to grow up to become a powerful, mighty man. You're not a cute, sweet little baby. She goes, you are so cute and you're so sweet, but you know. And I told my boys that every night at bedtime, I would say, I would look and say, Micah, do you know? You're a dangerous boy. You're a warrior boy," because I want them to grow up to be powerful, godly men in their spirits. Okay, words of affirmation, and to teach your kids, it's okay if you fail. If it's okay if you fail, and I want that message to get like take a risk. I don't want my kids to be scared of everything in life. I want them to be able to, to be independent and to take a risk. And if it didn't work out, go, okay, God bless. You know, we're gonna try the next thing. And then the the last thing is this: it's just through attention. I think this is probably the number one way that kids sense that they're loved. When is the last time you you sat down? you know, eyeball to eyeball, and looked your kids right in the eye, not on the run, and said, you know, if I had it to do all over again, I'd still choose you as my child. Out of all the children in the world, I would choose you. Man, I'm crazy about you. You put the light in my eye and the kick in my step. I'm so glad you're my son. I'm so glad you're my daughter. I love you so much. Just wanted you to know. Write them a note, send them a text, whatever, you know, do, do all of those. But it's through attention. Psalm 145, 18 says, Our heavenly Father is near to us when we call on him. We have so many, and I'm going to pick on you guys one more time, uh, absentee fathers today. Cornell University did a study. They attached uh, little microphones to children, and they monitored them for weeks. And weeks. And then they they collected that, and what they discovered from that is that the average father in America spends thirty seven point seven seconds a week in meaningful conversation with their children. So, Dads, you're spending thirty seven point seven seconds a week in meaningful conversation with your children, and they're sitting in front of the television for two to four hours every day? Where do you think they're getting their values? Where do you think they're forming their worldview? You just got to spend some time with them. Got to spend some time with them. You know, we, we chase after a hundred things, and uh, this missing element is so simple. You know, we're living separate lives under the same roof going in a million different directions, um, and we're, we're producing more delinquents in this generation than ever before, than ever before. You know, we say that we admire the greatest generation, the World War II generation, more than any other generation. I think, I don't want to impose that on you, but I think most of us would say we admire those people. There's something unique and strong and special about that generation of people. They're so resilient, and there's a grace in the way that they have lived uh, their lives. Then why would we not embrace some of the elements from the way that they were raised. And one of the things that, that happened in that generation is that fathers and sons spent a lot of time together, not going out doing special things, although I think that's, that's awesome if you can do that, but just doing everyday things. And I remember, you know, I said, you know, I kind of picked on my dad and said, hey, he did some things wrong. One of the things he did right that I didn't like at the time is he repaired everything around our house. We never called anybody to do anything. He could, he could do it all. So if he's repairing the car, I'm standing there with a flashlight. Hand me a wrench. I'm handing him the wrench. I'm just there with him. We did roofing. We did electrical. We fixed plumbing. We crawled under the house. We, I just did all kinds of things with him, just in his presence. I think that's what this is talking about. Now, last week I, I talked about counting, and that was a pet peeve. If there's anything that annoys me just about as much, it's the phrase quality time. What is that? You know, you know what that is? It's an excuse for a lack of commitment of time to your children. <laughs> if you ask any of these children, any of the children down in Kids Stuff, hey, today, dad can give you five minutes of quality time. I mean, I'm really going to, I'm going to lie all over you. I'm going to touch you. I'm going to send you. Or we can spend two hours just quantity time. We're just going to knock around. They'll take the quantity every time. They just want you. And it's great if you can buy them a lot of junk, you know, and stuff and all of that. You may ruin them that way. But I think what they want to do is just to be in your presence. Just to be with you. So just, you know, make make that a focus. Make make that a time uh, where they begin to get to figure out, I'm not the center of the universe. Everything doesn't revolve around me. I'm part of a family. I fit into this family, which produces incredible security in their hearts. Makes them feel so safe because it lifts that burden of, oh, everything's, oh, we're all looking at you. You're the most special, wonderful thing. And they're trying to live up to that and thinking, I, uh, I, I kind of like it because I'm getting spoiled, but I kind of don't like it. Because move them over and say, no, you're not the leader of the family. And quit planning all your events and moments and everything around the child. I know I'll probably get some kickback from that, but I I believe that's a mistake. Uh, You can give too much attention or not enough attention um, uh, to our children. And as you spend time with them, you're going to begin to understand each one. So just build in quantity time. If you've got to run to Lowe's to get something... Take a kid with you, okay? If you've got a, you know, whatever, take take on your children and just talk in the car and just spend time together. Now, there's one other this this verse I wanted to share with you because when I read this, it's just one of those that jumped off the page. What if you know? Here's this Old Testament section of of history. There's all these books that were written for God how he moved, and there's stories, and there's history, and there's poetry, and there's wisdom, and there's proverbs, and and there's all this information. And then that is setting the stage, and there's these quiet 400 years, and then Jesus would come. And we would get to relate to God in a completely new and fresh and different, beautiful way. What do you think in that transition would be the very last thing that God would say to his people, What would be uppermost in the mind of the Lord right before this is about to happen? Here's what it says this is the last book, the last paragraph, the last verse of the Old Testament. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children. And the hearts of children to their fathers. That was the priority with the Lord. That is what I believe is revival. That would be spiritual awakening. For a generation of fathers to turn their hearts to their children. And for children to turn their hearts to their dads. And let me say a, a couple of things. First, just to you dads. I know this is intimidating. And I know that it's hard. And I know there are days... Will you feel like a complete failure? Been there, done that again and again. And I think the pressure that we talked about in the beginning of the message of, I just want to be a good dad. I want to be a good husband. I want to be a good employee. I want to be a good, you know, and we're just trying so hard in our flesh to do those things that you were never built to be able to do. So I just give you the permission and just the freedom to release that And just go before the Lord and say, God, there's times I just don't feel like a very good dad. Whether your child is just a few months old or maybe they're in their 20s or 30s. And you think, God, I just want to be a good father. And so I'm just going to release that to you and ask you to love. Would you turn my heart back to my children? Would you turn my heart to my children? And love them through me. Make that a specific, purposeful decision. Now, I don't know what the repercussions will be. It may you may need to have a time of reconciliation with, with one or more of your children, where you just sit down and say, "I I've just I've, I've been parenting you out of my flesh, not out of the spirit, and I just want to apologize and I want to ask you forgiveness, and I want to tell you that I I want to be your dad, and I want to, I want to turn I want, I want to turn your heart." back toward me now when he does that let me say a word just to you children um, you're, you're not perfect right you know so it's not really fair to expect our parents to be perfect I think as I got you know older I, I just wanted my parents to be perfect and I realized you know, they they've, they've done things and this has messed me up and I realized oh wait a minute I'm not perfect either. So until you've reached the place of perfection where you can go to your parents and say, Mom, Dad, as you know, I am perfect. <laughs> perfect child. And I've noticed that you're not. So what I need you to do is step it up a little. I need you to be perfect too. Like me. Okay? You know, now when you get to that place, go ahead and do that. That's fine. But until then... Cut your dad some slack. Give him a break. And it may not be fair. You may think, well, it's not fair that I should be the one to turn my heart towards him, that I should take the initiative. I know that. I was a sophomore in college when God convicted me that I need to turn my heart toward my father. I wrote him a six-page letter. I couldn't wait for it to get to him, so I called him on the phone. And just said, Dad, I just need you to forgive me for not being a good son and... I need you to know that I love you and that I want to be the son that you need for me to be. And I, I pray for forgiveness for my rebellion. And, and my dad didn't under He said, what, what's going on? Are you okay? I mean, he, did, he didn't get it. He didn't understand what I was doing. But it didn't, it, I just don't want you to wait that long before you take that step. Uh, because there's a lot of wasted time. Now, some of you are already there. You think, I'm already a senior, or, am I, and, or maybe an adult. You think, well, I'm 40 years old. Go call your dad. It's okay. Somebody's got to take that first step for this healing so that the hearts can be turned back to one another. So you may need to get forgiveness from your parents, and you may need to give it. You may need to forgive your dad for some hurts or some things that he's done, and you think wow, just that's just really hard. But, you know, healing and love and grace flow through forgiveness. That's the beginning place. So, let's do that. And just let me encourage you with a prayer right now and um, ask the Lord to help us to know where to begin with this. Would you stand, please, with me? Father, I want to thank you for our parents, and I thank you for the task you've given us. And, Lord, we um, have a lot of issues here. And I know some of us have grown children who are prodigals and in a couple of weeks, we're going to devote a whole Sunday just to talk about what about grown children and how do we relate and love them and turn our hearts back to them. And Father, I pray you'd give us wisdom and insight from your word. And, Father, we pray that you would love and parent our children through us because you know how to do it better than anybody. You are the perfect dad. And we love you so much and we give you praise. I see the